that I might as well have Latina written on my forehead. <laughs> I'm so proud of it. And yes, I'm grateful that right. you know I, I I was raised in Oslo. Both of my parents are Spanish speaking, so it was my first language. But my children may not speak as perfect a Spanish as I do. Yeah. I pray that people don't hold that against my kids. Yeah. Right. They they yeah. they celebrate who they are. They celebrate our culture. It's we just speak a lot of English in school right. here, and our friends speak English and. That's what you get used to. Well, that's what happens when you come to a country that's actually a melting pot. Yes. I mean, that's we all should be it. proud of our okay. culture, but we shouldn't diss other cultures yeah. because oh, of that. communications major at the University of Connecticut. I was born and raised here by my mom, who's Puerto Rican, and my dad, who's mostly Italian. For the sake of this topic, I'll primarily be focusing on my mom's side of the family. My mother's side of the family mainly resides in Hartford, Connecticut. And if you're at all familiar with the state capital, you know that not only is it known for being one of the largest hubs of Puerto Ricans in Connecticut, but Hartford is also ranked sixth for the highest population of Puerto Ricans in the United States. But I actually didn't grow up in Hartford. For a majority of my childhood, I lived with my grandma on my dad's side of the family and my mom. Then we moved to a town on the shoreline of Connecticut that was about as diverse as an episode of The Office. So Spanish was never something that I needed to get by. And it turns out the longer your family is here in the US, the less of your native language you speak. Whenever I say I'm Puerto Rican, the next question every time is, do you speak Spanish? Inevitably, I have to tell them that I don't, not fluently anyway. I've been getting this question my entire life, and I've received all kinds of responses ranging from the condescending, how are you Puerto Rican but don't speak Spanish, to the misguided, your parents should have taught you, what a shame. I used to be filled with so much guilt and shame because I couldn't speak Spanish the way I knew other members of my family could. And I know plenty of other people my age who have felt the same way for not speaking Spanish, even though their families could. But blame has never been a catalyst for change. In order to solve a problem, you have to go to the root. And that's what I set out to do this semester. It's largely observed that many younger Puerto Ricans speak Spanish at a much lower rate than other Hispanic groups in the US. But why is that? What makes our position as Puerto Ricans so unique and is it actually problematic that less and less Puerto Ricans are using Spanish? The first thing that came to mind when I began researching is, if Spanish fluency among new generations of Puerto Ricans is trending downward, will it ever reach a point so low that the language itself becomes extinct? This led to a wealth of articles and reports and studies on extinct languages. It's true that it is possible for languages to become extinct. And in fact, I saw over and over again that out of the thousands of languages that exist today, only a few will survive. It's predicted that 90% of today's existing languages will die out in the next 100 years. 100 years, that's it. That sent a shock down my spine. Will the Puerto Rican dialect, which is its own flavor of Spanish, just disappear? And if it does, what's gonna happen to the culture? It turns out that language and culture are intrinsically linked. But first, 
How does a language die? I found a few reasons. The most common has to do with minority communities being forced to assimilate to the larger community, like Native American tribes being forced to speak English, or indigenous tribes in Mexico being forced to speak Spanish. Language extinction can be sudden, like the genocide that wiped out Tasmanians by early Europeans. But most language loss does tend to be gradual, and it's usually due to the pressure to speak the language of the majority. This happens over generations as children stop being taught their native language. In fact, many small indigenous communities around the world only have a few fluent speakers left, and when the last speaker passes away, the language goes with them. Another contributing factor I found interesting is the shifting demographics among Latinos in the U.S. We have a growing number of people who have multiple ethnicities, like me, and that impacts how people identify themselves. The Pew Research Center found that some Americans with Hispanic heritage don't even identify as Hispanic. Most respondents who felt this way say it's because their background is mixed or because their ancestry was too far back to be salient. After reading that article, I came across a theory that backs this claim. A professor at UC Irvine named Ruben Rubat summarizes language loss among the US immigrants with what he's calling the arc of language loss. Essentially, it says that as you move from first-generation immigrants to third-generation immigrants in America, the native language gets used less and less. So the length of time in the U.S. does matter when it comes to speaking Spanish, and Puerto Ricans have been here for a long time. The most notable migration of Puerto Ricans from the island to the mainland was in the 1950s. Puerto Ricans are the second largest Hispanic group in the U.S. behind Mexico. So it makes sense that we're now seeing the effect of this so-called arc of language loss in this particular group of Latinos. So, how are language and culture connected? Well, at the International Association of Conference Interpreters, Nancy Rivenberg wrote, and it isn't just our understanding of the human mind that's impaired. In many places, indigenous languages and their speakers are rich resources of information about the world around them and the plants and animals in the area where they live. In a time of mass extinction, that knowledge is especially precious. As you can see, humans have gained a lot of knowledge in this world through writings and recordings, but some of that knowledge is contained through the spoken word in languages that are spoken by small tribes. When a language is lost, you lose all the information about that environment, and you lose a little part of history. Language might seem arbitrary to monolingual speakers, but it actually shapes the way you see the world. Now, this is something that's been studied a lot. And a linguist named Benjamin Lee Worth studied Hopi, a language spoken by a Native American tribe located in Northeast Arizona. So he discovered that the speakers of Hopi and speakers of English have different perceptions of the world. Another example of this is seen in indigenous tribes in North Queensland, Australia. In one tribe, their native language does not have words for front, back, left, or right. They only describe directions using North, East, South, and West. And if you're a native English speaker, you think of time in chunks, right? You can break it down into hours, minutes, and seconds. Whereas actually the speakers of Hopi only see time as linear and fluid. 
So language does impact how you think. And as we all know, it's much better to have a variety of perspectives rather than just a few. This is true for business, creativity, innovation, and overall, just a more open and empathetic society. As you may have already guessed, English is one of the dominant languages whose number of speakers is increasing every year. Along with English, Mandarin and Spanish are poised to be the world's top spoken languages. So you might be thinking, Tiffany, what are you so worried about? If Spanish will remain dominant, then Puerto Rican culture will be fine. But the Spanish spoken on the island is unique to Puerto Rico, such as the Spanish spoken in Chile or Argentina. Every country has its own dialect. It's unlikely that the Spanish spoken globally will come from one of the smaller Spanish communities. I predict that the Spanish researchers are referring to is going to be what we're taught here in the US, a very proper form of Spanish from Spain. And while it's true that a majority of the Spanish languages spoken across the world are rooted in Spain Spanish, there's something unsettling about speaking the language of a country that most people here in the US have little tie to, as opposed to the smaller Latin communities that dominate the greater US population. The Puerto Rican dialect is shaped by its history. If you didn't know, the language spoken on the island derives from our native people, the Tainos, the Spanish colonizers, and the African community who arrived with them. Over time, the languages merged, and today the Puerto Rican dialect also has several English influences as well. For example, you might hear someone refer to themselves as Boricua. This comes from the word Borican, which comes from the Taino language. The Puerto Rican language tells the story of our people, and that story gets harder to trace when less people speak it. But it's not impossible to reverse this trend. In fact, other cultures have brought languages back from the dead. I almost missed this amazing piece of history while studying language loss. I think I found it by accident as I was about to stop researching so I could put together a proposal. I feel like this isn't well known, at least it was news to me. When I moved down to the shoreline, I found myself getting to have Jewish holidays off for the first time in my life. There was a decent sized Jewish community in the area, and thus I got to learn a little bit about the culture. What I didn't know was that modern Hebrew is spoken as a result of a language revitalization movement that happened in the 19th century. One of the leaders involved in this movement was Elizer Ben Yuda, who was a writer. He used various approaches to reviving Hebrew in Jerusalem. Ben's methods involved speaking exclusively in Hebrew with his family. It proved to be challenging, but he still wrote newspaper articles that encouraged others to do the same. He also formed Hebrew-speaking societies, which were like private clubs whose members only spoke in Hebrew. Their goal was to spread the language to the rest of the population. And with the help of the principal of the Torah school in Jerusalem, Hebrew was taught to students six to eight hours a day. 
Above all, the most important step he took to revitalize the language is one that is seen as critical for language preservation today. He made an all-encompassing dictionary of the Hebrew language. Finally, he established a language council whose purpose was to fill in any language gaps and create new words for a new society. The results of his efforts began to take effect in the early 20th century, and today, Hebrew is widely spoken among the Jewish community in Jerusalem, which gives me hope for the future of Puerto Rico. Now I'm going to go over a few methods of language preservation that I've discovered through research or come up with myself. Tech. The first method is technology. Technology has been both a blessing and a curse, but in terms of language preservation, it may be a very useful tool. For example, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's downloaded, deleted, and re-downloaded the Duolingo app. As a user, I haven't made the most out of this technology, but the workers at Duolingo are more optimistic about its ability to preserve disappearing languages. The founders of Duolingo both have native languages that are not English. Louis van A is from Guatemala, while Severin Hocker hails from Switzerland. Both were studying in the U.S. when they came up with the idea for Duolingo after seeing how access to language learning improved their earning potential. And this is actually essential to language preservation. You have to make the language accessible for people who don't already speak it, and it needs to be easily accessible in order for them to stick with it. Removing as many barriers as possible is the key to increasing the likelihood of someone deciding to start and stick with language learning. The Duolingo founders also suggest that gamifying learning is a better alternative to outdated approaches in classrooms. Irish was the first endangered language added to the app following a plea from an Irish high schooler in the app's early release. Not that he was the only one to ask. Duolingo got several emails from people who wanted to see their language on the app and even volunteered to teach the course themselves. Since the release of Irish in 2013, Duolingo has gone on to add languages like Hawaiian, Navajo, Haitian Creole, Scottish Gaelic, and Yiddish. Of course, an app can't magically make you fluent on its own. You have to incorporate immersion and active use for that, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. Another online movement is being run by Daniel Borg Udell, who is the founder and director of WikiTongues, a nonprofit organization who's attempting to build the first online archive of every language in the world. This community of volunteers helps speakers document their languages online in an effort to preserve them. They also want to promote language services and other efforts to revitalize endangered languages. Remember, documentation is key to language preservation as it serves as an archive and resource for that language. Remember Eliza Benuda? He was on to something when he coordinated his language-saving efforts with the local school principal in Jerusalem. As backwards as modern language classes can be, teaching students, especially students of a young age, their native language is a widely used method of language preservation. Bilingual education efforts are used across the world and in the U.S. Hawaii has been doing this for years. The Kamehameha schools in Hawaii aim to preserve the Hawaiian language 
and put a particular emphasis on preserving the native Hawaiian heritage as well. In 1977, Cherokee Chief John Crow passed a resolution that made it mandatory to teach the Cherokee language throughout the school systems within the community. At the elementary and middle school level, students are required to participate in language class. In high school, they have to pass a language class before they can graduate. Laura Penix has been teaching in the school system for more than 30 years in Cherokee's Big Cove community in North Carolina. In 2016, she helped develop a language app called the Shiyu app, specifically for learning the Cherokee language. There's even a Cherokee language summer camp kids can attend. Again, language is not the sole focus. Cherokee traditions like pottery, beadwork, and basketry are also taught to students. And most importantly, Laura notes that she trains people so that there is someone to take her place when she retires. Of course, this ensures that all these efforts can continue to raise new generations of Cherokee speakers. Documenting. There are many efforts to document endangered languages as a way to make a comprehensive archive an official resource for learners and scholars alike. Dictionaries happen to be the most familiar resource to the general public. The Living Tongues Institute for Endangered Species is a nonprofit organization who describes their mission as saving languages from extinction through activism, education, and technology. They have research teams who help activists document their language and cultural practices, as well as empowering them with toolkits to help them continue these efforts on their own. I hope you're not getting bored talking about dictionaries because language dictionaries are anything but boring. These days, dictionaries are online. Interactive and include audio and visual representations as well. Although it is a great tool for language preservation, it's important to know that in some indigenous communities, dictionaries are associated with colonialism and missionaries and may not be welcomed as an option by some members. Pop culture. In an interview with NPR, Bud Lane, who is vice chairman of the Silence Tribal Council, describes the various efforts his tribe has taken to preserve the Athabascan language. Bud reflects on his adolescent years in Oregon when he would avoid speaking the language because it simply wasn't cool. Bud said, "It was seen as not something that was, I don't know, a wonderful thing to do, and so many of our elders would not even speak in public." What's the moral of the story here? You have to keep a language relevant to get people behind it. Getting the youth of any community to want to speak a language that goes directly against the dominant one is challenging enough, and we know that teaching the next generation is vital for a language to survive. More importantly, Bud noted that you don't speak a language for no reason. So then the challenge becomes: in a world that's being overpowered by the big three, how do you give people a reason? Well, how else do you stay relevant in 2020? Get trending. Remember that god awful period of time when you couldn't go two minutes without hearing that baby shark song? Well, the creators, a company called Smart Study, were contacted by Navajo Nation Museum director Manuelito Wheeler to translate the song in the Navajo language. 
The same museum is also behind successful efforts to translate Star Wars and Finding Nemo into the Navajo language as well. I don't know about you, but eight hours of Star Wars sounds a lot better than eight hours of a language class. Okay, maybe eight consecutive hours of anything is too much. As for me, my personal favorite way to connect with my culture is through music. Music is a huge part of Latino culture, and that's true for Puerto Rico as well. There are so many styles to listen to, but I'd be lying if I said reggaeton wasn't my go-to. Right now, Bad Bunny, who's a Puerto Rican rapper, has ascended to global pop star status. He performed at the Super Bowl, and just last month made history, as his newest album became the first all-Spanish language album to reach number one in the 64-year history of the Billboard 200 Albums Chart. It's amazing to see how an artist from such a small island could make such a big impact. But of course, Puerto Rico is kind of famous for that. We've got Jennifer Lopez, Roberto Clemente, Mark Anthony, and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, just to name a few. I can't communicate as much as I'd like in Spanish, but artists like Bad Bunny make sure that I get my daily practice on my drive to work every morning. Maybe it is inevitable that some languages die off, but it doesn't mean that they have to disappear, and neither do the cultures that go with it. At the very least, we should do our best to preserve the languages that we have. Like I said earlier, more languages means more perspectives. I am so proud to be Puerto Rican. But I allowed the shame that comes with being an English-speaking Latino stop me from being able to fully embrace my culture for too long. If we work to remove that shame, we can make it much easier to make sure that Puerto Rican culture and language lives on. Meeting other people like me and seeing efforts made by other small communities to keep their culture alive has been inspiring to say the least. If there's one thing I know for sure, it's that it doesn't matter what we're up against, whether that be a corrupt politician, a hurricane, or saving a language, Puerto Ricans are resilient. We don't go down without a fight.